So something happens every once in a while at my house, and that is I have an introvert, one that comes home, and is just like, oh, my family. I can just be myself around you guys. And I hope that's how you feel this morning. You come here and you're like, ah, oh, my family. This is I'm here with my family. That's how I feel. So um, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to confess this morning, one of my favorite ways to waste time on the internet. Um, you might have your own way. One of my favorite ways is a dog shaming memes on the internet. So if you don't know about this joy, there are these pictures that dog owners share. They take a picture of their dog and um, usually with a written um, card next to their dog explaining what horrible behavior their dog had that day um, or just continually has a problem with. And um, my favorite pictures, there's hundreds if you Google that. Um, there are just hundreds, and I will waste time doing that because they bring me such joy. Um, and my favorite ones are the ones where the dogs can't even make eye contact with their owners. They're just so ashamed. They're like looking away, and it just cracks me up so much. I'm not really sure why I love them so much, but I'm going to show you uh, just a few examples. And I, I had a hard time picking, so here's th these are Christian dog-shaming ones. So um, this dog ate a Bible. He had some help. I think I helped. We're sorry, Jesus. They don't look ashamed at all. Um, the next one, uh, the next slide is I ate the baby Jesus out of the nativity. He, he looks like he's ashamed. It's so sad. And they're great. So, um, yeah, I encourage you, do that. Um, I'm not sure why I enjoy them so much because... I'm not really a dog lover. I mean, I love your dogs, but I just don't love them enough that I want to take care of them. So I'm not sure why I love these, um, these memes so much. I think part of it is I just kind of like I can relate to them, right? There are things in my life that I've made a mess of that I know I'm guilty of and that I need forgiveness. And I think we can all relate to that. So during last week's message, Alberto shared the story of the huge mess that David made in his life, in the life of other people, when he decided to take Bathsheba, a woman who he saw bathing, and he, she was a wife of another man. He decided to take her, slept with her. Um, she became pregnant. And in order to cover up his sin, he devised a plan to get her, get her husband killed sent him off to war. Um, in, during that time, you see her husband's, he's honorable, and so she, she, he, like, struggles to actually um, get him killed, but eventually he's killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his own wife, and he, he feels like everything's good, right? He covered it all up. And it, it is shocking, the terrible and destructive decisions made one after another in this attempt to better his, the situation for himself, completely destroying other people's lives, innocent people in the situation. It's hard to understand how he fell so far from this man that we first met in the beginning when G uh, God chooses him as the next king that he wants because he says he is a, he is a man after God's own heart. And so we see this man fall so drastically. He lived a life of great honor 
We see um, even in his relationship with King Saul where he had every reason to kind of act out, and yet he chooses to do the right thing and chooses to stay close to the Lord and um, be an honorable man. And then we see these decisions. Such a drastic change. And what is really disturbing is that at this point, David thought he got away with it, and he's like okay with it. He's okay that he covered up um, the sin, he thinks, and so he thinks he's, he's gotten away with it until he gets a visit from Nathan. And the, Nathan hears from God. God sends Nathan to kind of confront David with his sin. And so he tells him a story and talks about, um, it just tells a story about a man who has lots and lots of sheep and one man who has one sheep and that he loves that sheep. And he, the man with lots of sheep, he, he takes that one sheep from the man. And David gets so angry. How could he? That's awful. Why would he do such a thing? And, and Nathan says, you are that man. And he says to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And David realizes that, that that story was him. He realizes this is sin, and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. David's behavior, it's horrible. It's shocking. But what we see is a repentance that is beautiful, and it is an example for us of what repentance looks like. We see an example of someone who is confronted by his sin, and instead of blaming other people or um, excusing his behavior for some reason, he owns his sin and his, the pain that he has caused other people and pain that he caused himself as well. And he doesn't hide from God, as we often do. Instead, he actually kind of runs to him. He runs to him in his repentance, in his realization of his sin. He confesses his sin, and he talks to God about how much he craves the connection that he used to have with God, this close connection, and he, he wants that again. So this morning, we're going to look at the vulnerability to God in this moment that David shares in a psalm, Psalm 51, that he wrote right after this um, time when he's convicted of his sins. But before we look at that psalm, what we're doing with this series is one week we're looking at the story, and the next week we're looking at a psalm that kind of um, goes with that story, and we're learning how to use the psalms ourselves in relationship to God. But before we look at Psalm 51, I just want to acknowledge that David's confession is one of guilt and not shame. Maybe guilt and shame seem like the same thing, but their, def their differences are extremely important. And when we put them into practice to ourselves and with other people, they have an enormous um, difference in the results between how we present guilt and shame to others and ourselves. So Dr. Brene Brown, she's a college professor and researcher who has uh, studied the effects of shame and guilt. You've probably heard of her before. She's written several books. Um, she has one, several TED Talks that a lot of people have seen, um, like millions and millions of people have seen. And what she, how she um, 
distinguishes between shame and guilt is this. She says that guilt is admitting that your behavior is wrong. But shame is that intensely painful feeling that goes beyond just your behavior being wrong and instead you are wrong. Deeply feeling that you are so wrong, you are so deeply flawed that you are unworthy of acceptance or belonging. And sometimes others can put that shame on us as well, not just ourselves. How our parents, how our friends, how our teachers, how our churches understand the profound difference between shame and guilt has a huge impact on how we are able to come before God and come before each other in our sins. So words like, why were you so stupid? You are so bad, there's something wrong with you. You will never change. Those are words and voices in our heads that can play over and over again. It's the soundtrack of shame. And in Dr. Brown's research, she found that shame is correlated with things like depression and anxiety and addiction and even being violent. But what she found is that guilt is inversely correlated to those behaviors. And what that means is that when we are actually able to say, I'm guilty of a behavior, I did something wrong, and that's not the way I want to act. That's not who I want to be then we're actually less likely to suffer from things like depression, anxiety, and addiction. So guilt is actually beneficial to our lives. Shame is very destructive. And there are three ways that we kind of react out of shame. When we feel not that just our behavior is wrong, but that we are so wrong. The, the way we react is we hide from others, right? We hide from community because we don't want anybody to really know us because we think then they'll reject us. Another way we can react out of shame is to try to gain control other, over other people with power and aggression, right? Don't, that's another way to hold people away, right? With your power and to be aggressive. And that's the way, if they really knew me, then they wouldn't let me be close. And so I have to keep um, people at a distance with power or Another way is to constantly strive for acceptance and approval. It's never enough. You need it from everyone. Just constantly trying to get acceptance and approval from others. And what I don't see is those responses in David's repentance. When he's confronted by his guilt, he could have, of course, become very aggressive. I mean, he had the power to, and we see him even getting a man killed. And he could have done that to Nathan. I, I felt, feel very bad for Nathan having to come um, to him knowing he had that power. But that's not what we see in David. He didn't become aggressive. He didn't attack. He didn't blame Nathan. He listened. He also didn't hide. He didn't hide from God. He doesn't hide from others. He actually goes to God. And he doesn't seek approval from everybody else before he goes to God. It would have been very easy for him to say, oh, let me make sure the soldiers and the leaders that they all still like me, right? He was well-liked, and I'm sure that was important and did something for him. I mean, they sang songs about how great he was. That did something for his ego, I'm sure. But what we see is he goes to God. 
He doesn't hide. He runs to God. And that's what he does with his guilt. And I think it's very important for us um, this morning to talk about the difference between shame and guilt. And acknowledge that love and shame are, are mutually exclusive. That means they don't coexist with one another. God is love. God does not shame us. God convicts us. God is love. He convicts us. But he doesn't shame us. And they feel very differently to be shamed or to be convicted by a loving father. And I, I'm hoping that we can feel that this morning in this place. God shows us that nothing we do changes our worth or our ability to be accepted and to, be, to belong in community. There's this movie that I saw several years ago, and I don't remember much of the movie. I remember it was hard to get through. Um, it's called Blood Diamond. It has Leonardo DiCaprio in it. And um, the storyline is about a young boy in Sierra Leone in Africa. Um, I, I believe he had to be under 12, who was kidnapped and made to be a, a child soldier. So he's trained to kill and to... Um, carry a gun and it's just awful if you ever um, real stuff that is happening around the world that um, happened to children and in this story a um, the father of the boy who gets kidnapped he decides that he is going to go and find his son and it doesn't matter how hard it takes for him to find his son he's going to find him he leaves his family he risks his life and he searches and finally I'm sorry I'm going to spoil the ending a little bit but I hope you don't mind. There's this wonderful moment at the end where he finds his son, and his son pulls a gun on him. And in his son's face, there's no child left in there. It's just a soldier, and it's kind of dead, dead of emotion, even seeing his father. But his father just looks at him with such kindness and love and warmth, and he doesn't even acknowledge the gun. He just looks at his, son face, his son's face with tears in his eyes, and he says this. He says, I know they made you do bad things, but you are not bad. You are good, and you are my son, and I love you, and I want you to be near me. I want you to come home with me and be my son. And I think that moment has stuck with me over the years because in that moment, I recognize that voice. It's the voice of our father who doesn't shame us but says, I know you've done bad things, but you are not the things you have done. You are my children, and I love you, and I want to be near you. Come be near me. And I feel like it's important that we make that distinction this morning before we read through Psalm 51 because the truth is that the voices that we heard growing up or in school or in church, they play a huge role in how we read scripture. Sometimes we don't hear the voice of a loving father. We hear the voice of a parent, a teacher, even a pastor. And it's important that we hear our Father's voice. We've talked about how the Psalms have been used 
since um, the when they were written for the Jewish people. They, there's a combination of these uh, songs and poems that were written by uh, Jewish people over centuries, um, just praying to God. And they show lots of different emotions of anger and sadness and fear and joy. And at a time when the nation of Israel are in exile, away from their home, they decided to put all of these these psalms together. And they started to use these psalms as a way to encourage one another. They sang these songs together, encouraging one another with these psalms. This is how God wants to be with us and near us. And we see that Jesus was used to that too. That's how he used the psalms in his own life. And for generations, Christians have used the psalms as a way to pray to God. And so that's what we want to do. We want to get really comfortable with the psalms. And they're, they can be uncomfortable. But we want to get comfortable with the emotions in these psalms. And we want to um, use them as a way to just um, hear from God and talk to God. And do it in a way that knows that he wants to be near us, that we don't need to be afraid, just as David wasn't afraid to be near God, even in his, in his sin. And so this morning we're going to do something um, called a Lectio Divina. It's an ancient practice. We've done it several times um, here before uh, in small groups, in large groups. Um, we encourage people to do it individually. It's, uh, people have been doing it for you know, hundreds of years. Um, I think St. Benedict was the first one to kind of uh, teach people how to do this practice. Usually what happens is you read through a passage three times, uh, leaving space of silence to contemplate what you're hearing from God. And so we're going to do that this morning. Before I read through Psalm 51, um, Larry, if you want to pass out those um, passages. So Larry, it's a long passage. Um, so Larry's going to give you a copy that one side is English, one side is Spanish. Um, one line that I just want to clarify a little bit is the, the line, cleanse me with hyssop. So hyssop was a plant that was used during um, the Old Testament times for the Jewish people. It's a plant, we're not quite sure what type of plant it is, but it was a plant that was just common and at that time. People suspect some different types of um, plants, but um, a common type of plant that was used as a way to um, put water on people who were ceremonially becoming clean to approach God at the altar or to make a sacrifice. They used hyssop to become clean, to be near God. And so that just helps you with the imagery that David is trying to bring to us in this, in this passage. So what I want us to do is just kind of take a deep breath. Breathe it out. Try to clear your mind and be present in these words this morning. I'm going to read through it. And just this first time that we read through this um, passage, I just want you to be aware of words and phrases that jump out to you. Words and phrases that jump out to you, maybe um, underline those or just keep them um, Remember those words and phrases that jump out to you that have special meaning for you this morning. Let's read Psalm 51, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, 
according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to just kind of review those words and phrases that come to mind. As I read through it a second time, I want you to be aware of what God is saying to you in this passage. Not just what it means for all of us, but what does it mean for you today? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that the sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in the sacrifice. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. It's a moment of silence to hear what God is saying to you. Talk to God about that. I'm going to read it one last time. And this time, I want you to think about what you're going to do with what you heard from God. In this message, what do you want to do with that? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out all my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. And then bowls will be offered on your altar. What are you going to do with what you heard this morning? I'd like you all to share maybe some words out loud that stuck out to you from this passage. What are some words? Just shout them out in English or Spanish. What words stuck out to you? Mercy? Broken and contrite heart. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. The word whole stuck out to me. Renew. Steadfast. 
open my lips. <laughs> the whole thing. Sustain me. That stuck out to me too. Sustain me. Restore. Mm. I'm sorry? Pure heart. Pure heart. Thanks for sharing, guys. So I have heard um, that many people who go through AA um, come out of their experience with AA looking for a church community to be a part of that um, would feel a little bit like their AA experience. And um, for them, AA was a place where everybody could share their brokenness. They admitted their faults with one another. And no matter how many times they make mistakes, they're still welcome in the community. And what many AA members have shared is that when they go to look for a church, they expect that. And oftentimes find a place where they feel like people are actually wearing masks and aren't able to um, share their emotions, their pain, their weakness with one another. They're afraid that if they do that, that they wouldn't be able to be accepted into the community. But that isn't what the church was supposed to be, and it's not what the church started as. When we look at through um, the New Testament in the beginning of the church, in Acts, we see a church where people were constantly talking about their brokenness and their weakness and confessing with one another and praying for one another. And in the letters that leaders like Paul and Peter and James write, they're encouraging people to, to share with one another their brokenness. James, um, in his letter, he writes, James uh, five sixteen. he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And then great advice from King Solomon in Proverbs. He says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And my prayer is that this would be true of our church, everyday church, that it would be a church where we are joined together in our shared brokenness. Not just our shared beliefs, but in our shared brokenness, that we are able to become clean with one another and uh, without this fear that we would be rejected and that we wouldn't belong in this community. And that is um, what we're striving to be, is a church where everyone belongs in, because we are all broken. So today what we're going to do just to try to work on that is we're going to practice together the prayer that so many people have prayed together in churches for generations. It's a prayer found from the common book of prayer. Um, and it's, we're just going to pray it together line by line. I have um, it in English and Spanish. And it's just kind of a commitment to one another that we are all broken. We're at the same place. And um, a, a confession to God of our brokenness. So that's how we are going to end um, the
this message today is praying this prayer out loud. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not been loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us. And walk in your way to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.